to the EAU Podcasts. Today we have Professor Bhaskar Somani, Consultant Urological Surgeon within Medicine at the University of Southampton, and Patrick Jones, based in Bergen, Norway, who is a member of the EAU Young Academic Urology Urolithiasis Group. Management of urolithiasis in pregnancy can be challenging for most urologists with diagnostic and treatment dilemma. In this episode, Professor Baskar and Mr. Jones will discuss a balanced multidisciplinary approach for management of pregnant patients with stone disease to achieve the best outcomes during and after pregnancy. Great, Professor Samani. Thank you for the opportunity to join you today to talk about kidney stones in pregnancy. Can I first start by asking you, how common a problem is this? Very fortunately, it is not a common problem, but I would say approximately 1 in 200 to 1 in 1500 pregnant women experience a symptomatic stone event, which might be just a renal colic or a complication related to it. Hmm. And why does pregnancy predispose those patients to stones? I guess up to 75% of pregnant women actually have a stone in their pregnancy, and this is the first time they are having a stone episode. Mm. Uh, There are several anatomical and physiological changes that occur in pregnancy, and that affects the entire urinary system. For example, you can have urinary tract dilatation, which starts early in pregnancy. You have urine stasis and supersaturation of mineral components with urinary uh, crystals. You have alterations in urine pH. So if you talk about uh, you know blood markers, you can have high intestinal absorption of calcium, high release of calcium from bones, both of which predisposes to stones. And in terms of the urine, the urinary pH is high, uric acid level, oxalate level, calcium level, these are all increased. And all of these put together predisposes uh, pregnant females for stones. Paddy, can I ask you now, I mean, how would you approach managing a pregnant patient in, in really an acute setting, shall we say? Yeah, well, they often present acutely and out of hours. And as we know, this is a clinical scenario which can be very difficult to, to navigate. And there are many reasons for this, such as the restrictions in diagnostic imaging, as well as a limited profile of safe drugs that we can give those patients. And we also know that there are delays to diagnosis that occur. For patients should undergo clinical history and physical exam, urinalysis should be performed, as well as sent for culture testing as required. Standard blood tests should be performed with initiation of a sepsis protocol as required. We should also involve a midwife early, as well as the obstetric team, obstetric team as this is key in order to confirm the healthy status of that fetus, as well as rule out an obstetric cause for the pain and or an obstetric complication of the stone event. Okay, that's, that's quite a good uh, way of looking at assessment. Can I ask you then, imaging-wise, it is always controversial, uh, and the idea is to minimize radiation exposure. What is your strategy, Ben? Yeah, well, as you say, imaging and radiation is one of the main characters in, in this story, but we should really follow the ALARA principles of radiation. And in pregnancy, this should really be zero if possible. So ultrasound is the first-line imaging choice in the guidelines, and we should avoid ionizing radiation exposure, which is the benefit of it. We are looking for hydronephrosis, dilatation of the distal ureter, and ureteric jets. Of course, 90% of women will have some degree of hydronephrosis, especially on the right. 
And this can occur from as early as week six and even persist up to six weeks postpartum. But even if it's not caused by kidney stone disease, hydronephrosis in pregnancy can be painful for that patient and therefore itself might be the cause of the patient's acute presentation. Dilatation is not usually observed below the pelvic brim and therefore an obstruction below this level should raise suspicion of an intraluminal obstruction secondary to kidney stone disease. Absence of the ureteric jets carries a high sensitivity and specificity for diagnosing unilateral ureteral obstruction due to stones. So checking for jets should often be specified on a request and remember to relay that information to the patient that they need to have a full bladder. Another extra is transvaginal ultrasound, which can be used to supplement an abdominal ultrasound. Okay, yeah. But of course, um, in the workup, we can consider CT or MRI. What do you do that and when would you do that? I guess, I mean, CT, I would try and avoid as much as possible. Although it's not 100% contraindicated, we need to be really clear about the, your patient selection. I guess in modern times, the dose is, is minimal, but ultimately you could do a, a very low radiation CT scan and I would definitely involve radiologists in that decision-making or the choice lies between an MRI scan. And again, sometimes you don't get the information you need on an MRI scan or doing a negative ureteroscopy. And this is a, a shared decision-making, I would say, between the patient, maybe obstetrician or midwife and the radiologists. But we can consider it, but I, I, you know, in our setup, generally we try and avoid CT as much as possible. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I completely agree. And also obtaining an MRI acutely, depending on where you are, can be very difficult. But if that patient, for example, has sepsis as well, that can be a very challenging scenario. Do you have any advice here? I, I mean, as always, if, if there's suspicion of sepsis, please start antibiotic therapy early get the involvement of radiology because you might need imaging, microbiology for appropriate testing and advice and obstetric teams, uh, again, for the obvious reason, uh, because you're not just involved a pregnant patient, but also the fetus. Be aware of what is safe. And, and for the patients, what are the complicating factors that can predispose to sepsis or its complications and whether or not they need urgent decompression? I think that is the key. Now you can you, can, you have an option of uh, ureteric stent, uh, which could be under a local anesthetic or percutaneous nephrostomy. But remember, any drainage tube that is done for the sepsis, unless you sort out the obstructing uh, you know, pathology, you will need to change the drainage tube every four to six weeks until the obstruction is re relieved. So please be aware because tubes can get encrusted otherwise. Now, Sepsis is one area, Paddy, but a lot of times you have hydronephrosis and obstruction without sepsis, but from an obstructing stone. So tell me about safe principles of ureteroscopy in pregnancy. Well, while ureteroscopy is not a decision to make lightly in pregnancy, there is evidence, an increasing amount of it, that uh, shows it can be performed safely during pregnancy and with a low risk of obstetric complications. We do have to remember, of course, that in this setting, there are no randomized trials and the outcomes which report uh, ureteroscopy are from tertiary experience centers. And just like for taking a CT in pregnancy, we need to go through a clear and thorough consent process um, with the mother and any other relevant party if we're to go ahead with it. In this area, the EAU guidelines state 
temporizing therapies often associated with poor tolerance those stents as you say they need to be changed often and uh, they also have the potential for rapid incrustation on that topic of course one of the key papers was that by Kabusi and Clayman that was back in 1992 uh, that I'd recommend all residents read but the principles then are as important then as they are now and um, it highlights that issue well of uh, incrustation if we come back to the guidelines they highlight that ureteroscopy can become a really has become a reasonable alternative in these situations. And when compared to temporary JJ stenting, uh, which has to be continued till after delivery, uretroscopy results in fewer needs for stent exchanges, less irritative voiding symptoms, and better patient satisfaction. Non-urgent ureteroscopy in pregnant women is actually best performed during the second trimester, as well as by an experienced urologist. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. I, th- I think ureteroscopy is an option, but remember that it needs to be an, the most experienced person or sending it to a center which has got the most experience and patient counseling and probably involving obstetric teams, as you rightly say. Now, Paddy, I know that your group from Bergen has recently published on a large outcome paper in ureteroscopy in pregnancy. Would you mind sharing some details of it? So we have nearly 100 cases since uh, 1984, which we've just published. Since 2010, we've performed approximately 30 cases. And if we look at that group, we've had no interoperative complications. And the post-operative complication rate was 6%. There were no fetal deaths. We've also, in addition to that paper, made a video, which is to be published and online soon, taking a step-by-step approach to how uh, operators may do it. We will look forward to that, buddy. I'm sure it will be helpful to everyone. So... We know ureteroscopy is one option, but um, are there any alternative treatments we can consider? Well, I guess, uh, but if you're talking about a stepwise approach, you have a conservative approach, you have temporizing approach with stents on nephrostomy, you have ureteroscopy, and if you're really pushed, and, and this is, you know, you only have some case reports of it, the guidelines do say, the EAU guidelines, that percutaneous removal is feasible, uh, but it's an individual decision, and it really absolutely must be only in experience centers. Uh, so you could potentially offer PCNL, but I would say, again say it is very, very with, with a cautious approach. Again, I will add here that lithotripsy, shockwave lithotripsy is absolutely contraindicated in pregnancy. Now, we, we know about some of these measures, uh, Paddy. Do we have a guide or you have published a guide on pregnancy and management recently? Uh, Could you share that with us? Yeah, so that's right. uh, There are several out there, but we have also published a guide because we do know this is very difficult to navigate. It comes in the night often, out of hours. You have to coordinate with uh, several specialities. So ours includes an infographic style algorithm, which can try and help with this. Hopefully, it will help uh, listeners too if they face this problem. Good. Uh, so, so, so having a, 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 the guideline-based approach, but also using some evidence-based guides like the one you've just mentioned about, would help clinicians and not just urologists, but actually urologists and obstetricians, and ultimately it will help the patients. So, what are your key messages then, Paddy? From from what I can understand, for managing stones in yeah. pregnancy. So I think uh, one of the key messages is that centres uh, should try and develop their own local protocol. And this should include which specialities to be involved, as often there can be a confusion as well as 
who takes ownership of that patient. And I keep coming back to it, but it can be in the middle of the night. So we don't want these unnecessary delays, okay? And uh, here we have actually designed our own app uh, made by one of my uh, clever colleagues who uh, has incorporated a library of scenarios, including this one, to help guide uh, and make that transition from the emergency department to the ward and everything between more, uh, more smooth. I'd say that was one of the, the top messages, uh, as well as that multidisciplinary approach that uh, you've mentioned, and uh, being aware of what's safe and what's not, and which areas really need careful counselling with the mother and any other partner in that family. That's great. From your position uh, in the guideline panel, do you have anything there you'd like to add? Yeah. So, I mean, Paddy, just to summarise, I think your centre has really developed quite a nice, so you've got an algorithm, you've got an app, or you've got a clever pathway, and maybe this is something we can all learn from. I mean, from the guideline side of things, I would just reiterate what we have kind of discussed, just to reinforce the message. So, Treat all uncomplicated cases of urolithiasis in pregnancy conservatively. Tent insertion seems to be more effective or, or drainage seems to be more effective uh, than conservative treatment when you have symptomatic moderate to severe hydronephrosis. So that's when you're thinking of draining. Now, ureteroscopy is a reasonable alternative to avoid long-term stent or drainage. However, remember any tube you put in, whether it's a stent or nephrostomy, would have a high tendency to incrustation. And, you know, the final message would be that the clinical management of a pregnant urolithiasis patient is complex and really demands a very close collaboration between the patient, radiologist, obstetrician, and, of course, the urologist. And that is what I would uh, leave our listeners with. Uh, Again, Perry, once again, thank you so much for sharing both your knowledge, expertise, and experience from Virgin. It is really, uh, we are looking forward to both reading the guide and probably at some point sharing the protocols you have there. I would really like to thank the European School of Urology and the EAU for giving us this opportunity. And hopefully you'll enjoy it as much as we did. Thank you so much. Thank you, Baska. Thank you, the EAU team. Thank you, Professor Baskar and Mr. Jones, for this episode of EAU podcast on urolithiasis in pregnancy. Further podcasts will be posted regularly on EAU guidelines topics. For more EAU podcasts, please go to your favourite podcast app and subscribe to our EAU podcast channel for regular updates.